First off, underslot sounds like something that I'm ashamed I did in college. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the inspiration behind the Blink-182 hit, All the Small Things, my brother Mike. Uh, My life has been the inspiration for many songs. Uh, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. Jolene. Jolene. uh, That was back when you were going by Jolene. That's right. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, that's Dolly Parton, yes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm just, I've lived a life that inspires, you know, because I live out loud. Yeah, mm-hmm. you played the loud. antagonist in this cowboy's hat, I do believe. I, I, that I'm was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah, very very nice. Uh, we're back to baseball after a relaxing all-star break. Mike, did you have a good all-star break? Was it relaxing? Did you get some rest? No, uh, I don't like the all-star break because I like baseball every day. And I like the consistency of having baseball every day. When they take that away from me, I don't like it. Now, I know it's important. I know that the Royals certainly needed it, but I don't need it. I want to see baseball. And the actual all-star game itself doesn't really do it for me. The home run derby doesn't do it for me. Uh, The futures game I like to watch, but that's about it. Yeah. I'm of the same mind though. I do. And I do like that. It's good for the players. So that's good. On today's episode, we'll review the Orioles series that the Royals are wrapping up currently. We're recording this on Sunday, July 18th at 3.08 p.m. The Royals are still playing. I think they're in the seventh. Mike, you got the game on still? Yeah, they're down. (laughs) <laughs> they're down three nothing. That's what Four they were nothing. down last time. Four nothing now. Yeah. Um. I got the game cast up on on the laptop here as we record, but right now it looks like they're going to lose the series to the Orioles. That's not good. They're one of the worst teams in baseball, but uh, they are back to playing games. Just three games so far since the All Star break. We will review those three games a little bit and then talk a little bit about the upcoming trade deadline and give you a full recap of the MLB draft with our thoughts on how it turned out for the Royals. But first, we got a new five-star review in Apple Podcasts that we'd like to share with you. A listener named Bethica left a wonderful review where they stated that they appreciate how respectful we are in our discussions and how detailed we get. We want to thank you very much for that, Bethica. We always try to be respectful. Uh, it's, it's When you're in the business of sort of analyzing baseball, analyzing sports, it can get easy to treat players like and coaches like objects and not like human beings. We always try and do our best to make sure that we're being completely honest and uh, and objective in our analysis while also being humane, treating players and coaches like human beings, uh, because that's what they are and they deserve uh, to be treated as such. Uh, so thank you for noticing that. Thank you for noticing how detailed we get. Everyone else, do like Bethica. Yes, Mike? Oh, I just had something to throw in. Got a big uh, uh, healthy review from our nephew this week as well. Cody uh, says he listens every week. His 30th birthday this week. And so uh, happy birthday to Did him you? and thank you for listening. Yeah, cleat. Was that an in-person review? Was that, that was a- an in-person review. He said, hey, <laughs> hey, by the way, I've been listening to every, the podcast every week. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. Didn't even know. Like, appreciate it. Uh, yes. Thank you, Cleet. We really appreciate it. Uh, be like Cleet. Be like Bethica. Go review, subscribe, listen every week. We really enjoy hearing your feedback. We really enjoy sort of interacting with people who listen to the show. It's a lot of fun. So uh, if you could do that for us, that'd be wonderful. We'll keep coming back with you every week to provide some thoughts on Royals baseball. So let's get to it. Not a ton of roster news for the Royals this week. Just a little, a few things here and there. Cam Gallagher was reinstated after being on the IL for a little bit. 
as a result, they optioned the Royals option Sebastian Rivero back to AAA. I really like Sebastian Rivero. I hope someday he gets a, a really consistent chance to play at the major leagues. I think at the very least, he could be a consistent backup catcher at the major league level right now. And I think there's potential that he could end up being an everyday player down the road, still only like 22, 23 years old. So uh, it'll be good to see uh, more from him in the future. Wade Davis was also reinstated. Probably not a huge future for him. I mean, he's already had his time <laughs> for the most yeah. part, but he was reinstated after what I think they were calling a forearm strain or some mm-hmm. sort of forearm discomfort. Um, as a result, Anthony Swarzak was designated for assignment, which just means he doesn't have options left. So they have to pass him through waivers. All, all the teams have to pass on him, and then he'll go back to the minors for the Royals. I anticipate that happening. I don't think anybody's picking up Swarzak. I think he'll be back in Omaha before too long. And Wade Davis, the, the positive thing about a Wade Davis coming back is that um, you hope that he can eat up some innings and be a guy that you don't really have to worry about. You're not expecting him to be a top-end reliever, but in mop-up duty and times when you need innings so that you're not burning guys or burning guys' options in the minors or bringing guys up who aren't ready to come up, you can use a Wade Davis. Yeah, that's his role at this point. And hopefully he uh, is feeling better if he was truly hurt and you know maybe even is a little more effective at this point. But we'll see on that one. Uh, the Royals this week are currently one and one, though looking like they're about to go one and two, which brings their overall record to 37 and 54 right now, maybe on the verge of 37 and 55. The game, or the series against the Orioles started out really well. They came out of the all star break really uh, killing it in that first game. They played really well behind Danny Duffy, who pitched pretty well, uh, four innings for him that he had to be pulled a little bit early because he got hit by a comebacker in the leg and it was starting to stiffen up on him. But the bullpen looked really refreshed. The bats jumped all over Keegan Aiken in that in the first game, including four RBIs from Nicky Lopez. The first game looked great. A lot of optimism, a lot of hope. Second game, not so much. Brady Singer once again crumbled under the weight of poor command and a lack of a third pitch. And what was really troubling for me is what his comments made after the game. After the game, he gave a quote to Ann Rogers from MLB.com where when he was asked about a third pitch and he said, doesn't matter if I got a third pitch or not. This is a quote. Doesn't matter if I have a third pitch or not. It doesn't matter at all. Actually, it's going to get hit. I've got to learn how to stay out of the middle of the plate and stay ahead. Mike, what do you think about that sentiment that he uh, doesn't matter if he has a third pitch? Well, I have to I have to respectfully disagree with that, and here's why. If Brady Singer can command his two pitches, which is a, basically a two-seam fastball and a slider, if he can command those really well on a given day, he probably doesn't need a third pitch. The problem is he does not consistently command those two pitches, and it's very difficult for any pitcher to have consistent command with two pitches and be an effective starting pitcher. It's just hard. There's going to be days when you don't have as good a command with one of those pitches, or maybe you don't have as good a stuff with one of those pitches, as good a life on the fastball, as good break, or a really good break on the slider. So you need to be able to go to that third pitch to keep hitters guessing, or what they're going to do in any given day is eliminate one of your two pitches and sit on the one that you're throwing, okay, or the one that you're going to end up leaving in the zone. And so I think he does need to develop the changeup. We've seen that when he can throw it at times, the very limited times he does it, he does have some effectiveness with it. He needs a third pitch so that hitters can't sit on the slider or the two seamer. It's just, that's how it is. And it's a little bit disturbing to think that he thinks that he doesn't or that the organization has told him that it's okay 
that he doesn't have that third pitch. Yeah. And that's my thing. That, how do you get to this point where you are in your second season, starting in the major leagues, your third professional season, and you still believe that this is the case. It's if somebody asked me, why is it that you believe that Royals pitching development isn't any good? After I pointed to all the failed first round pitchers that they've taken, I would then point to this comment and say, take a look at that. That is an example of failed pitching development. If you have a pitcher get all the way to the major leagues, they're two seasons in and they still think they don't need a third pitch. You have not taught them enough about the game to understand that there are no successful starters who only have two pitches. It does not happen. So why do you think you can be one? That's nuts. It is crazy. And Brady Singer, I am a fan of yours and I want you to do great, but I don't see where your mindset is coming from that you think that your either command is so dominant or that your slider and fastball are so dominant that you don't need a third pitch. Right now, the evidence isn't there for that. Right now, you have an ERA over five. And so eventually you will have to concede one, you do need better command. That's true. Both of these things are true, but you also need a, a third pitch. You have to have it. It doesn't have to be the changeup. If you don't like the changeup, fine. Try and learn a split finger or something like that. But you need a third pitch desperately. Yeah, I'd even take a like a, a traditional 12 to 6 slower curveball at this point. You know, it doesn't, if that's what he feels more comfortable doing, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but yeah, just thinking that you're going to go out there and mow major league hitters down with two pitches, sometimes ones that you really can't even command, that's that's a problem to me. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I say that there's never been a, a, a two-pitch starting pitcher that had success because I don't really know, but I've definitely seen a lot more that have three that have success. Yeah, well, think about this. If you're going to be a two-pitch pitcher who has success as a starter at the major league levels, you need to have a Randy Johnson-type fastball you need to have a level of command that singer just has a Greg Maddox like command. Like that's the type of stuff you need if you're only going to live on two pitches and he doesn't have either of those. And so he needs to concede. I need a third pitch. I don't think he could do a curveball. I think his, the way he throws his mechanics and arm slot sort of negate the ability to get on top of a 12, six curveball, like a true up and down. Maybe he would throw it in the high seventies curveball, but Something you got to find something because right now it's it's not there. I think he should just work more on the changeup and make it good enough because that's to me his ideal third pitch. But if you want to try a split, that can, you need to throw something as his third pitch that gets him into a different quadrant because right now against left-handers it's down and in with a slider or it's inside with a fastball or it's outside with a fastball. Those are the three quadrants they have to look in. That's it. And if you're looking for well, give me an example of when this worked. Danny Duffy is your example. When he came up, he did not have a changeup at all. He threw basically a fastball and kind of a slurvy breaking ball, though back then it was more of a curveball. Um, but he developed a changeup. Some, some, I think he's even said somewhat with the help of James Shields, um, developed a changeup, and now he's a much better pitcher that goes way deeper into games as a result of that. that and his command has never been top level, but when guys can't sit on pitches, that's going to be better. And there are days when that changeup is his best secondary pitch. Yes, there and are. That helps him so much. It helps him so much that if his slider is not working, he can go to the change. And if his change isn't working, he can go to the slider. Like that is so tremendously helpful. So yeah, second game didn't work out so well. Royals ended up losing. Third game looks like they're going to lose too. Hernandez looked pretty good in his start. 
not great. The bullpen's given up a couple runs since then. The Royals offense just really hasn't touched Matt Harvey for some reason. Everyone else does. So I don't know what they're doing, but uh, it is what it is, as the kids say. Yeah, I, I really like the fact that Hernandez came out. He got four innings, two, uh, two earned runs. He had trouble in the second inning a little bit, loading the bases. But again, you still look at it and you say, the fastball is really good. And the, some of the secondary pitches are really good. The command today wasn't great, so his pitch count ran up there pretty high pretty early. Um, but he's the kind of guy that needs to continue to get starts this year. You have to know what you have, and you have to, it looks like, develop him a little bit at the major league level, which you really shouldn't be doing. But he's got to keep starting. Yeah. And these are things that, again, somebody asked me, what's the issue with their pitching development? I look at Brady Singer. I look at Hernandez. I look at guys who don't have command at the major league level. And I think to myself, actually Royals farm report put, put out an excellent tweet uh, where they were like, if I were, if I were the Royals, I would call pitches from the dugout for Brady Singer. And I would call 20% changeups and I would force him to throw them. And I'm thinking to, I, I re- reply to them, like, this is what they should have been doing in the minor leagues. And you often hear people about teams doing this sort of thing in the minor leagues where they make demands of pitchers where they're like, you're going to work on your changeup until it gets good. Whether results be damned, doesn't matter. This is the minor leagues results be damned. You're developing a third pitch results be damned. You're doing this mechanical thing to make your command better. Like you do that shit in the minors. You don't do it in the major league level, but for some reason, Hernandez and singer are both in the major league level still trying to develop. And it's like, "Mm, we really should have been doing that earlier in their career, professional careers. We're not going to have uh, strong or weak performers for the week or themes because it's just been such a short, they've only played three games this week. So there's really not enough data to sort of make analysis of who played well, who didn't, or any themes that really emerged. We're in kind of a holding pattern with the Royals until they start making moves. And that'll be the most interesting thing for the next 12 days or so leading up to the end of July is what are the Royals going to do in terms of the trade deadline? Who are they going to trade? What kind of prospects are they going to be targeting? It is a really important two weeks for them. Mike, what do you want to see from the Royals before the end of the trade deadline? Uh, I would really like to see like, some value coming back in trades. Obviously that would be top of the list, but that, that those players that we get back fit the mold of the team that you're going to want to put forth in 2023, 2024 and beyond. Uh, I don't know that we did that in the draft as much. So really what I would like to see, if we want to be real specific, I would like to see some developed bats and some outfielders that come back and return uh, at the minor league level. If you can do that, and you can bolster your minor league system that way. You didn't do it in the draft, really. So that's going to kind of be what I'm looking for. What areas of of on, on the field are the Royals getting return in? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm looking for advanced bats. I'm looking for outfielders. I'm not looking for pitchers for these reasons. If this crop of young pitching that they have now fails, it's all doomed anyway. Right. So like it doesn't make sense to continue to add pitchers and not add any bats. You've already banked on the fact that if this pitching crop hits, you're going to be a good team. And if it doesn't, you're doomed. And so I would sink a ton of money if I were the Royals into making sure that these pitchers end up working out that we have now the Coars, Lynch's, Singers, Bubich, Hernandez, Lacey, all those guys, Bolin, Bolin, all them. Marsh. I, I would sink a ton of money into making sure that those guys reach their potential, but I'm not going out and trading for more pitching prospects. You have enough pitching. It's time to ensure that when those pitchers are ready, you have a lineup that can compete. Right now, I don't know that that's the case, especially in the outfield. So I want to see some advanced outfield bats ready to come in and contribute in 23. 
We might have a list of some of those guys next week, maybe if we have time to do the work of scouring every team's uh, prospect lists and finding outfielders. I've done a little bit of it so far, developed a little bit of a list. It's really hard to do like trade projections or anything like that, but hopefully maybe we'll have at least a few names for you. Or at least we, the, t- we, the type of player that, that we should be the looking The type for. of player, which we've done a little bit of in the past, but now it's time to really, uh, to really start looking at it because the Royals need to be making moves. The thing that will super disappoint me is if they do absolutely nothing at the deadline. If they do nothing of value, I will be really disappointed. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. Last week, we took a close look at the Royals' first pick in the 2021 MLB draft, but ultimately, we concluded that we couldn't assess the success of that pick until we saw the other picks in that draft. The Royals employed a strategy called underslotting by taking a lower-ranked talent at the top of the draft in an attempt to land some high-end talent later in the draft. Well, the results are now in, and we can now assess the totality of the Royals' draft. Let's start with a broad overview. Mike, what grade would you give this draft as a whole? Well, I'm going to go with a D plus, and it's pretty easy to pass my class, which is everything, you know. Ah, um, uh, D pluses. How much passing school, grade, everybody? And now, let me let me tell you, there's only one reason that it's not an F, and it's that I like some of the players that they took. I do believe in some of the players that they took. You know, some people came down really hard on their first pick. I don't dislike Mazzucato as a player. Uh, I, I'm sure he's a good human being too. I don't really know, but. I'm hoping that there's some development in that and that he can turn into a guy. But here's always the thinking that I have. You were terrible enough last year to get a top 10 pick. You go out there and you use it on a guy who most people don't have ranked in the top 25. And most consensus is he's not not a number one ace type superstar in the future. I think that as you draft, you have to be thinking, what identity does our team have? Where do we have depth issues in our minor league system? The Royals didn't address any of that stuff. And you have to, I think you have to be willing to take a risk to get a superstar in the top 10 at some point. And I don't think that's what Frank Mazzucato is. And don't get me wrong. I hope he turns out, I hope he proves me wrong. That would be phenomenal. But you had an opportunity to draft Khalil Watson. You had an opportunity to draft Brady House there. I think either one of those would have been stronger picks. Both still high school guys, but both possibly have the ability to help you in the outfield and both are bats, which the Royals desperately need. So I was really disappointed in the draft overall. It seems to have a lack of focus or understanding of what is in their minor league system at all. And Dayton Moore has always said pitching is the currency of baseball, but it really isn't if that currency is devalued because other teams know that you either have to trade it or that you're you're overloaded with it and you can't you're relying on market circumstances there that aren't in your control. Right. And that drives yeah. me nuts. Like, okay, yeah. pitching is the currency of baseball. Whoopity woo. All right. Nobody's giving you jack crap for a minor leaguer who hasn't proven it at the major league level when they know you have to trade that guy. When they know you yeah. have no spot for him in major league baseball. So I, I disagree with that way of thinking. Yeah. Uh uh, my grade was slightly higher, just well, not slightly higher, it was significantly higher, but there are some caveats to that grade. So I gave them a B minus 
as my grade. And that's because I really do like the talent that they took. Although I am disappointed with some of the same things that you are. I wanted a focus on bats that could be developed quickly. I wanted a focus on guys who could play the outfield. They did not do that. They went heavily into prep pitching. But just to recap really quickly who they got, in the first round, they took Frank Mazzucato, a high school pitcher out of Connecticut. In the second round, they took Ben Coderna, a high school pitcher out of Kansas, Blue Valley Southwest High School. Let's just say this, two powerhouse baseball states there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Not not exactly what you would consider uh, hotbeds of, of prep baseball prospects, but that's where they came from in the, uh, not the third round, but the, what do they call it? Competitive balance round of the second round. They took Peyton Wilson out of Alabama. He was a second baseman, but he's also played the outfield in the past. He was also a catcher in the past. In the third round, they took Carter Jensen, a catcher at a Park Hill high school right here in Kansas city. Uh, many people believe, including myself, that he won't stay a catcher, but he's a big time bat. In the fourth round, they took Shane Pazzini, Panzini a high school pitcher out of Red Bank High School, Catholic High School. I don't know where Red Bank Catholic High School is, but I'm sure it's somewhere. In the fifth round, they took Eric, oh, I'm going to mispronounce this name, uh, Saratola, Sarantola, that's what it is. Eric Sarantola out of Mississippi State. He's a guy with a big-time fastball, big-time curveball, high, high spin rates on his curveball, like elite spin rates on his curveball. But he's had just really tough time controlling the ball, got basically benched at Mississippi State this year. So he's kind of a high-risk, high-reward kind of a player. In the sixth round, they took Dayton Dooney uh, at a Central Arkansas College, a Juco guy. Seventh round, a guy named Noah Cameron at a Central Arkansas. Eighth round, Ryan Sapiro out of a, a baseball academy in um, uh, Puerto Rico, a high Rico. school guy. Yeah. Uh, and then in the ninth round, they took Parker Bates out of Louisiana Tech. In the tenth round, Shane Conley out of Virginia Tech. And then there were 10 more guys for the next time. But that was their top 10 uh, in the draft. I gave him a B minus because I think there's a lot of talent in there. I think a lot of upside too. And I'm really grateful for the Royals for taking upside in this draft because there's been some knock on them sort of signing and taking guys who represent low floors. They're really great at drafting and signing four a players guys who will only be like really good triple a hitters, but never make it to the majors or never be any good in the majors. I think these guys represent a lot of upside. There is a lot of risk in some of them especially in high school arms, always risk in high school pitchers. You also have a high school catcher in there, and there's tons of risk in that as well. But these two guys do represent a ton of upside. Carter Jensen hits the piss out of baseballs. He has a ton of power. Maybe he moves to first. Maybe he moves to third. Maybe he moves to corner outfield. I don't know if he runs well enough for that. But you always want a guy who can hit the hell out of the baseball. Peyton Wilson, really athletic, a lot of projectability, draft-eligible sophomore, a guy who could be hitting, who could have hit his way into the top half of the first round next year. They got him in the competitive balance round in the second round. I like that pick a lot. Ben Coderna, mid nineties, fastball, high school arm has two secondary pitches that I would call pretty decent at this point. Um, we'll see if he can get the command and, and really just polish everything up. And then Frank Mazzucato, high spin rate curveball, uh, a lot of projectability on his fastball as well. There's just a lot of stuff in here where there's a lot of talent that they were able to take. That's what got him to a B minus in my mind. Other questions, though, still remain about this draft. And I think one of the most important ones is whether or not the decision to underslot was ultimately a correct one. Mike, what do you think about that decision to underslot as a draft strategy? First off, underslot sounds like something that I'm ashamed I did in college. Okay. <laughs> um, but I'm not a huge fan of that 
in the position that the Royals are in and not just in the the drafting position in the position of where they are at as an organization right now. I'm not a huge fan of saying, okay, we're in, we're at seven and there were two guys there that I, in Khalil Watson and Brady house that I thought have the potential to be legit anchors of a lineup or an outfield possibly. And you pass on both of them to go for a guy. And, and, and I look at those, that top 10 and I go, I don't see really anybody who has the potential to be an anchor of a lineup with the exception of maybe Carter Jensen, but you, there's so much projection that has to go into that. And I know people talk about his bat, but even his bat, there's a lot of projection that has to be done there. And that disappoints me. Like if you aren't going to take those opportunities where you're at the top of the draft and take advantage of them, then why are we at the top of the draft? Now the idea here is, Oh, well, we're not going to get superstars, but we're going to get, guys that are great at every part of our lineup. Okay. But you, a lot of things have to happen right to make enough of those guys major league ready and good to go. And I just don't see that in this group of players. Yeah. It seems like they wanted a second wave of pitching prospects and they keep talking like that is the case. They want a second wave behind singer Bubich Lynch and Kowar and Bolin and all them. They want a second wave. That's like uh Mazzucato, Kaderna and those guys. Uh, and I think that's what they think that they're getting here. I like the decision to underslot in this draft specifically, just because there wasn't a ton of high end talent at the first round. It's interesting. Sometimes our perception of the first round talent gets a little warped because they get so much attention. So Watson and house and Kumar rocker and all those guys got a ton of pre-draft attention. And as a result, we tend to think that they're better because they got all the attention, but what ends up happening a lot of times is, there's not that much difference between a guy like Sam, let's say Sam Bachman or Jordan Wicks, who are college guys uh, who were sort of behind rocker and lighter in that first or in that uh, first wave of pitchers. There ends up being not a huge amount of difference between them and maybe the next group of pitchers. And so you see here's some people coming out and saying, I think Mazzucato was the best lefty in the draft or the second best lefty in the draft. And the thing is to the common fan or to the casual fan, it's they hear the name Watson house rocker. And they're like, I've heard of those guys. They're the better ones. Not necessarily. Right. And so like, if there's not a ton of distinction between the top level talent and the second tier talent, it makes sense to me to under slot and just try and get more of that second tier talent, which is what they did. They got Kaderna who it was going to be really tough to get away from LSU. They got Jensen, who was going to be really tough to get away from LSU. And they got Wilson, who was going to get, be really tough to keep him from going back to Alabama. All of those guys had leverage, but apparently the Royals also thought they had a ton of talent. And so this, the success of this draft and of this strategy to underslot will be based on those on four players, Jensen, Wilson, Kaderna, and Mazzucato. If those four guys hit, or if, say two of those four guys hit, they'll call it a successful draft, right? If three of them hit, they'll call it a really successful draft. If all four of them hit, we'll call it an all-time draft because that's would be crazy, but maybe that'll happen. Who knows? Um, but that's sort of what they're banking on, I think. And I don't hate it as a strategy. If there had been a, 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 a no doubt superstar at seven, sure. But, and I loved Will and I loved uh, Watson. So, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, well, I didn't like any of those guys. I really liked Watson, but I don't hate this strategy to underslot. Okay. So two of those four are high school pitchers. You're banking on the Royals to develop high school pitching with that thought in mind. Yeah. Here's the thing though. Teams cannot draft as if their development is terrible. No team goes in and saying, oh, no, wow, yeah. 
Of course, we really are. can't do this. <laughs> what they need to do is make their development better. And, you know, Alec Lewis came out with this piece and he, he disappoints me to some degree lately because he's reading like a sunshine pumper, like he's carrying their water. And I don't like that. But he came out with this piece that was like, well, they've done these things to change their pitching development. He was critiquing the notion that uh, being critical of their pitching development is tired. And it's like, it is tired, but the reality is tired too, right? Because their pitching development is bad, right? Like it has been bad for a while. Maybe they're making changes and maybe those changes are positive, but we haven't seen the fruits of those changes yet. And so we cannot assume that just because they've made changes, those changes are going to be good. In fact, we would, it would be better to assume the opposite because the same people who made those changes were the ones who installed the previous regime of pitching development. It's not like anything has changed at the very top. And so we really need to say, like, be skeptical of anybody being like, oh, their development's better now. Show me the evidence of that. What is the evidence of that? I don't see it so far. But yes, uh, I, but I do think that if the Royals want to make a change, it's not stay away from drafting pitchers. It's make your pitching development better. I do want to keep it sort of positive and, and focus in on each prospect or focus in on some prospects specifically. Uh, Mike, who from this draft do you see as the most intriguing among this crop of draftees? Uh, well, so for me, it's the one of the guys that's kind of considered the reason that they underslotted. Uh, bed cutter Ben Kaderna out of, um, let's see. Blue Valley West? Blue Valley West. Is that what it is? Blue Valley, I don't know, all the Blue Valley schools. But he's out of Overland Park, Kansas, basically. Or Alex uh, Duvall mentioned this kid when we interviewed him a couple of uh, shows ago. He intrigues me a lot because he throws pretty hard. Now that's kind of a new revelation just coming out like this springs when they really start to see an uptick in velocity from him. He throws pretty hard from the right side. He's got a good projectable body, but it, he doesn't, he's not a high effort guy. He's not like max effort to get that 97. It's nice and easy out of his hand. Uh, right now his uh, breaking ball is his best secondary pitch his slider. But if you look at his arm slot and you look at the ease with which he throws his fastball, I think a changeup, and he does throw a changeup, it's just not really developed yet, but I think that could end up being his best pitch just based on his arm slot and his arm motion. So, the, you know, I think he's a guy who could continue to develop a lot. He may be one of those kids you say, oh, man, he's at he's, you know, sitting at 94 now, but he could be a kid that ends up sitting 97 by the time he really develops uh, into his body and things like that because it's really easy. It's a good arm slot, about a three-quarter kind of thing. And uh, I do want to see what happens as that competition level increases. He was like a showcase kid, and that's where he really broke out in some of those showcases. Um, but obviously in the state of Kansas, your high school competition is not going to be really high. So a uh, consistent level of competition. I think uh, in the profile that I read of him, it said he pitched a three-hitter in the Kansas State Championship game uh, and won that. So. Uh, hopefully Ben Kaderna, I think he's the the cream of this uh, draft crop. Yeah, and I think he was the toughest one to sort of sign away from LSU. I think he was the one that that under slot pick is really for. I'm going to talk about another guy. The most intriguing prospect to me is Peyton Wilson out of Alabama, a guy who I think uh, a good on-base guy, strikes out a little bit too much or a little more than you want to, but he's just a draft-eligible sophomore and really a COVID freshman, a guy who – you know, still had a lot of time left in college if he wanted to go back, who could have really risen up draft boards next year. And they went ahead and took him this year and offered him more money than his slot was worth. 
and a guy who's already 21 probably doesn't want to go back to college and sort of delay his start in professional baseball. Really good pick. I like him. He's really athletic. He could play outfield. I'd like to see them start him in center field a lot. I think they're thinking super utility guy like what Merrifield, like they always think. And I hope they don't do that. I hope they're like, let's give you a position and let you just play it. Um, and I hope it's center field, honestly, because he has the speed to do it. Get Make him more comfortable reading. He's done it in the past. Make him more comfortable reading baseballs. Let him play out there and then let his bat develop, get some of that swing and miss out of there. And you can have a really solid bat at the top of your lineup who can sort of even take over for what Merrifield maybe in the leadoff role because he does take a lot of walks. He gets on base a lot. Uh, and so I'm really intrigued by him because, like you said, he's the type of player that really fits the Royals profile. A guy who can probably cover a lot of ground in the outfield, who can put the ball in play hard, who's going to get on base. Those are the type of things you need at the top of your lineup to be successful. And boy, do they need outfield help. So he like is the only player that represents an advanced bat who could give them outfield help in the future. Yeah. And my hope was when I saw these draft picks that both he and honestly, uh, Carter Jensen get kind of moved to the outfield uh, pretty early on. And I think he may be a, like a left field kind of guy. He's got a strong enough arm. If he can move enough, you can play him in right field. I don't know that he's going to be able to move enough, but yeah, I'm thinking like, hey, are there guys here you can move to the outfield? That was my first thought. Like, is it possible that some of the negatives that I take from this, they're thinking, oh, we're moving these guys to the outfield anyway. So there's our outfield depth that we're going to start building. I hope that's what they're thinking, but I don't know that there's enough guys there to do it. It's a light schedule for the Royals this week with two days off during the week. In between days off, they'll head to Milwaukee for a two-game series against the Brew Crew. And then the weekend series will be back in Kansas City when the Tigers come to down. Mike, tell us about the Brewers so we can get prepared for this two-game series. Well, the Brewers are 56 and 39. They have the, they're in the lead in the National League Central. Uh, they've had a good, solid team for a few years now uh, behind Christian Yelich. Uh, we should see Mike Miner versus... Eric Lauer, a 26-year-old left-handed pitcher out of Kent State. He's uh, only got nine starts this year, but a 3.83 ERA, a solid pitcher. He's kind of a soft-tossing lefty, as his fastball only tops out at about 93. He does throw it quite a bit, but he does throw a cutter quite a bit as well. So um, could be a challenge there as the Royals struggle to hit, well, everyone, but they struggle to hit soft-tossing lefties as well. Um, in the second game, we should get Brad Keller versus Brett Anderson. Anderson's a 33-year-old lefty as well out of Stillwater High School in Oklahoma. 13 games started. He's got a 4.33 ERA. This is not the best that the Brewers have to offer, so let's hope that we can get uh, touch up those two starting pitchers a little bit. Anderson's going to have a uh, sinker that he throws the majority of the time, uh, as well as a changeup, a curveball, and a slider that is his go-to second pitch. Brewers have really been carried on the back of a great pitching staff this year but we're sort of mean, managing to avoid a couple of the really good ones. We had to face the really good ones earlier this year. We had a two game series against them already. And we won those games. We won those games. That's what's crazy to me. Yeah. We beat Brandon Woodruff and uh, who's the other guy? Corbin. Corbin Burns. Yeah. Yeah. We beat those two. And yet we'll see how we do against Lauer and Anderson. If, if we're on point, we'll lose both those games. Uh, <laughs> if we're if we're following tradition, we'll lose the games to the two mediocre soft-tossing lefties and we'll beat the two uh, Cy Young candidates. And so we'll see how, uh, how, how this goes midweek. And then in the weekend series, we'll take on the Tigers. Uh, they're 43 and 51, third in the AL Central, kind of sitting in the position we kind of all hoped the Royals would be in and thought the Royals would be in coming into the year. 
but really it's looked like the Tigers whose development and, and drafting is really now starting to pay off. Right. Uh, we saw, we've seen Casey Mize sort of uh, get his, him, his feet under him. He's turned in a really good season so far. Their pitching staff has really turned it around altogether. And then they're starting to hit again with some prospects that they had coming up. I don't think Torkelson is up yet. He's not. I don't think he played in the futures game. He's coming up though, and he'll be up before too long. And man, he's really good. So it looks like the Tigers are just starting to, they're looking like the 2013 Royals to me more than the Royals of this year are. They're starting to up, head upward. If you're buying stock in baseball teams, buy it in the Tigers right now because they're looking really, really good. We'll see. No probables out for that game, for that series yet. We'll see who they end up facing. But, you know, they've had, I think the Royals have been swept twice now by the Tigers. So it's not looking really great. Uh, this week, I'd hope to get at least one win from that Brewers series. And man, I want two from the Tiger series. I'm just not optimistic about it. We'll end this episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that we find fascinating outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what are you thinking about outside baseball this week? Well, I'm thinking about an idea that I had that you then turned around and said, hey, Netflix is already doing this or just announced that they're doing it today. Um, So the other night we were sitting here and I, I just popped in my head, hey, you know, I think somebody should do like a gaming subscription service. You don't have to buy games individually. You subscribe to the service and you get all these different games that you get to play. I'm sure other people have had this idea, but I was like, I think that would be a good idea. And then you and I talked through the particulars and you said, nah, it'll never happen. Cause you're a negative Nancy. Uh, I didn't say it would never happen. I you said exactly the said it would never I happen. I didn't think the technology then, was in place yet. And then I was like, Oh, I think it's definitely going to happen. I even explained, I think these are the companies that, would be in line first to do it. One of them that I said was Netflix. And then like it wasn't 10 minutes later, you go, hey, Netflix announced today that they're doing a gaming subscription service. So that interests me. Netflix, it was announced last week or something, has basically hired a former executive from EA Sports, uh, which is the one that has put out Madden and NCAA football games and done a lot of sports related games for a long time. They hired this guy to develop a, a part of their platform that will be gaming options through Netflix. It's not going to be a separate service. It'll be tied to the service that they currently have, but they want to have it out within the year. So that just kind of, is there going to be a revolution in gaming as there was in television and movie content? I think that's going to happen. I think eventually what ends up happening is you see the idea of buying an individual game as ridiculous. That's just personally. I think that, and I shared this thought with Mike when we were discussing it and why I've, one of the reasons I thought that this sort of thing wouldn't happen he's uh, right away was because I think studios and the people who produce movies and television realize now that they made a huge mistake signing deals with Netflix early on to give them access to their, their content. And I think video game makers are not going to make that same mistake. I think they're going to say, we want people spending $60 a game to buy them. So if you're Netflix, you're going to have to develop your own games and it's going to be harder for those to catch on, right? There's so much brand loyalty in gamings, not just to, to certain titles for sure, like Call of Duty and things like that, that have a ton of, a, of, of an audience, of a customer base. So it's going to be really hard for Netflix to sort of build up a customer base if none of these video game companies are coming out and letting them license their games. I think that video games companies are going to be very hesitant to do that. 
but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those deals are already in place and that's why they have announced it, but we'll see. I think that the video game producers are fragmented enough that there's so many of them that there's going to be competition to see who can make that first deal with Netflix. And so they're going to be like, Oh, we're going to be the one that partners with Netflix because we're going to get that huge influx of cash right now. Even if it means like changing the way that games are bought and produced and consumed, we're going to be the Netflix partner, not this other guy. I think that competition will exist among the smaller studios, among the smaller Maybe. names. Because if you're, but imagine you know, what those smaller studios Rockstar, could do. If you're, if you're the big studios who produce games like Call of Duty, why on earth would you take a loss to make a subscription with Netflix when you can have people out there buying your game for sixty dollars a unit? But for those smaller companies that are producing games, imagine what that can do for your company to get an influx from a Netflix. To partner oh, yeah. with a Netflix. You you oh, may yeah. be a small company, but if you have any sort of creative ability, you're not going to be a small company for long because yeah. you're going to start creating content that is much yeah. better than other companies. And maybe the pressure then comes from below for these bigger video game producers. Maybe that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. You know, So far, Netflix hasn't made a whole lot of uh, really bad decisions. And so uh, we'll see if, that, if that, this is another really good one for them. Um, I like the idea because I like the idea of being able to get new and different video games on my, from my subscription service. Uh, yeah. Because well, think about, think about how much those prices limit access to smaller games and smaller companies and things like right. that. And it, it, this is also just a way of getting the semi-casual gamer like myself. I'm not like a, I play every single day kind of a guy. Um, but this makes it more likely that I'm going to play because I don't have to buy a game for $60 to get something new. I can go on Netflix and try something new just with my Netflix subscription. And so, yeah, I think this is definitely has potential to sort of change the way gaming is done. We'll see if they can do it effectively, if they can do peer to peer play effectively, that's going to be really tough. Another big question. Like how's that going to work on a Netflix subscription? Like if there's just a lot of questions still to be answered, I don't know. Uh, what they are, but it's interesting that they've announced it and surely, hopefully they've answered these questions before they've uh, announced it. Uh, We'll see though. My thing for this week, my just about outside, get vaccinated. We haven't brought this up yet, but you need to get vaccinated. I just read this really long, terrifying thread about what the Delta variant is doing to the country. And this person was extremely pessimistic that anybody in America would, would end up not having COVID at some point, right? Like he was like, the, the COVID is going to become like the cold, right? And so if, if it spreads in that same way, we are in big, big trouble. And whether or not vaccines are perfect, they are way better than not being vaccinated. So get vaccinated, protect yourself and your loved ones from, vac- from uh, COVID and protect those who can't protect themselves. There are a lot of people out there who cannot get vaccinated because they are immunocompromised. Friends of mine are included in this. And it is your duty as a fellow citizen, as a fellow member of a society to protect those people by getting vaccinated yourself. So get vaccinated. It's wonderful. Mike and I have both been vaccinated. Very easy. Drink water, hydrate, and you'll be fine. No, not a problem. Yeah. And I think the last point that you hit on is is most perfect. We glorify like the greatest generation that came together in World War II to help win a war. And everybody went into the factories and we had freedom gardens and all this stuff. They pulled together to help us win, to save the world from fascism. Our pulling together is this right here. This is it, people. Okay. This is our opportunity to come together and fix something. 
do it, <laughs> you know, collectively, like, we have to like, take collective exactly. action. Like, and I understand that, Oh, it's my body. It's my choice. It's whatever. I get that stuff, but you're also making a choice not to help us as a community when you choose not to get it. So do it for your community, do it for your family, do it for your friends. Let's not, let's not create a situation where COVID is consistently changing our lives. But you know what should consistently change our lives? Royals baseball and Royals weekly. So hopefully uh, it changes that. mine all the time. I know that. <laughs> Golly. Uh, hopefully you, your life is changed by every single episode. You're just becoming a different person every week as a result of Royals weekly. Keep listening. You'll keep becoming a different person. Subscribe, rate, review, keep watching Royals baseball. And as always be good to each other. We'll see you next week. Go Royals. <laughs>